0: If you do have your Bibles, we are going to the Gospel of Mark, the 12th chapter. Going to teach some things today, maybe use a bit of scripture. Brother Daniel's going to help me down the back there, appreciate that. We've got a few different images and stuff and anything that gets messed up is on me, not on him. Something about our computer, it doesn't like Brother David's missions videos for some reason. It doesn't seem to matter what path we try to get it to work, the it's an anti-missions computer, it seems. So, We're going to have to anoint that computer and pray for it. Bless the Lord. I appreciate Brother David's willingness to present those things to us. It's important we see these things because it's, it's easy to talk about giving to a concept, but when we see what is happening, it, it we feel like we're being involved in making a difference. Amen. Mark chapter 12 <clears throat> and... Starting at verse twenty eight, says, And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Amen. This is our focus passage, if you like, our central passage of Scripture. We began a series two Sundays ago that is simply called One God and Two Commandments. Amen. In our first lesson, We established that the identity of God or the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord statement cannot be separated from the two commandments in this passage. If that statement didn't matter, then Jesus would have left out what we know as verse 29 and gone straight to verse 30 and 31. But he deliberately included that statement when he answered the question about the first of all the commandments. By the time we get to chapter 12 of Mark's Gospel, Peter has already had the revelation that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the disciples were already coming to terms. I'm not sure if they fully grasped it at this point, but they were already coming to terms with who Jesus really was. And we know that Peter was also told that he would be given the keys to the kingdom. And what Jesus is now saying is that the Foundational commandments of the Old Testament are carried across and are the foundational commandments in the kingdom of God or in the New Testament church as well. And so in verse 30, we are given the first commandment relative to that one true God, and that is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment commandment and so in this verse jesus lists four things heart soul mind and strength now they tell me that wherever i hold this microphone interferes with the reception but it seems to me that wherever i put my hands something happens i've got new poor mics coming so if it's a bit crackly please forgive me i'm trying to do what i'm told but it seems to not be working anyway and i'm not very good with the mic to start with as i'm regularly reminded but Jesus lists four things in this verse, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In in Matthew's gospel, where the same interaction is recorded, it is heart, soul, and mind. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Jesus drew from when he answered the question, the list is heart, soul, and might, or we would say strength. So there, there's a little bit of overlap there, and and... Possibly throughout this series, we will consider these components, possibly individually, and look to make some practical applications. But I think what is the most important thing that we understand is what Jesus is reaffirming. When he reaches back to Deuteronomy 6 and he brings that commandment to the present in the New Testament, which means it applies to you and me as well, what he is, is he's not saying, here's the list. I want you to go through and check those things off the list. And to, and to, he's not saying, you know, but what he's telling us is that our love for him must include every part of who we are. That is the underlying principle here because you and I are not going to sit down at the end of a busy week and think about our walk with God that week and go, well, you know, this week I got heart and mind, did a really good job of those, but the others I failed miserably at. It doesn't work like that. They're all part of a whole. So when he gave us those those items, if you like, what he was communicating to us was that if you're going to walk with him, if you want to obey those things that all of his word hangs upon, it's got to be with all of our lives, every part of us. Amen. So I'm going to try and show you some images. And Brother Daniel, if you want to throw that first image up there. There's two scriptures on this page. Let's just read those first. First Thessalonians 5 and 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's WH, not just H, so it's talking about completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Hebrews 4 and 12 on the other side says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the deciding asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. So Paul tells us that we are comprised of body, soul and spirit. Hebrews then tells us that these things are so tightly joined or woven together that it takes the only the power of God's word is really the only thing that can get down to that line of separation. There is no blood test, there is no scan There is no medical imaging that can say, well, here is your soul and here is your spirit. And they are woven together in the makeup of who we are. And so let me make this disclaimer as I begin this morning. When we consider this subject, it is not an exact science. It is not perfectly mathematically designed, defined and squared away. Because we need to remember who created us and whose image we are created in. And so when we, the, the word of God tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that's Old Testament King James, for it is amazing how God has made humanity. We are complex, we are incredible creatures. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're incredible. And saying, so am I. And so, and so if, if the way I present this, you think, well, I, I see that slightly differently, that's okay. We're not suggesting that we have all of this completely nicely with a ribbon on it and perfect understanding. But when God made man, when God created man in the garden pre-sin, body, soul, and spirit were in perfect harmony with him. Okay, there was no no friction, there was no discord, there was no out of alignment, but everything was in perfect harmony with God. Our body is our flesh. But again, when we talk about our flesh without getting off track, it's not just talking about bones and muscles. Because science is starting to reveal to us that even at the level of our cells, who we are is is right down to the cellular level. I've shared it before, but there's research into when people have major major organ transplants, particularly heart transplants, people's personalities can even be affected by that. So we probably in our ignorance because we're kind of us and not God, we possibly used to think, well, the heart's just a muscle, it's a pump, so it's purely a mechanical thing. But they're actually finding that with that transplant, there is there is personality adjustment, which again speaks to the incredible wonder of God's creative power that even right down at a level that is certainly far beyond my comprehension, these things are woven together. But as in as best in... In the simplest understanding that I have and I can share, when we talk about our body, we're talking about that which is material. When we talk about our soul, and it's including our mind, our personality, and all of those things, our spirit is that life source. It's the spark of life that's in us. I guess an easy example of that is when Jesus was on the cross and he died, the Bible says he gave up the ghost. That word ghost in the King James is the word that is often translated spirit as well. So when he died physically, the spirit left the body. That that spark left the body. And again, I'm going to say this several times. If you see this slightly differently, that's okay. Let's not fall out of fellowship over this. Let's pick something worthwhile. Amen. Genesis tells us that when the Lord formed man, he breathed into him the breath of life. Now it does not... Specifically, say that he put his spirit in man, but I believe that that is what happened then. That in that sinless image creature, God imparted some of himself into Adam. Because in the New Testament, speaking symbolically, Jesus would breathe on his disciples and say, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, they didn't get the Holy Ghost when he breathed on them, but it was obviously giving us a picture of who Jesus really was. And I believe drawing a connection back to Genesis chapter 2. Amen. So when the Lord put his spirit in Adam, he put it in the innermost circle of this image. Where the human spirit was, the spirit of God was as well. Now again, am I saying it's only in that circle and not in the others? Too hard basket. That's for somebody else to answer that question. But in that creation, with the spirit of God in Adam, body, soul, and spirit are in perfect harmony. There's perfect union there. Amen. But what happened, what, what did God tell Adam would happen if they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Right. Did Adam and Eve collapse to the ground in death the moment they ate the fruit? No. So that death is obviously not talking about body, but it's talking about something spiritual. Because when they sinned, and when they added the knowledge of good and evil to their humanity, God withdrew from the situation. So the spirit that he exhaled into them, he sort of inhaled and took it back because he would not share with that sinful nature. So spiritual death was the result, and their bodies also, the moment they allowed sin to enter in, the clock started on their bodies. Their bodies began the process towards physical death. Amen. So now, in our image of body, soul, and spirit, when we've been separated from God, the body is dying. Maybe not today, but eventually. Eventually, somewhere in your calendar, there's an appointment. Okay? So now, in its flawed humanity, the body is dying. The soul is corrupted by the knowledge of good and evil. And the spirit is void of God's spirit. Does that make sense? So we're a mess, basically. (laughs) We're, We're a mess because we've excluded God from the picture. And we don't actually have to read very much further in Genesis to see the outcome. When death comes physically, the soul becomes corrupted, and God leaves the building, so to speak. It becomes very wicked very quickly amen and so in the in the next image, these are the things that affect us at the level of our flesh or our body, our five senses sight, smell, hearing taste, and touch and I can give these slides and notes to anybody that wants them i am more than happy to share um, so these these are the things that affect us naturally amen so with the these things access we are very easily influenced by these things, particularly. We think about things like the media. If if, if we're not in for sight and hearing, if we didn't have those, the media would be useless. <laughs> but we are so easily affected by what we see and what we hear through media, through interactions, through relationships. You know, t- touch can be intimate; it can be violent. It, it's it's another way. We're possibly not as affected by smell and taste but the people some people when they went through covid they lost their sense of smell and their sense of taste you might not think that's important but talk to those people about what it was like to try and eat food without being able to taste that food so that's that's at the level of our flesh now that next image please brother daniel at the level of our soul these are the things that affect us at the level of our soul and again not a perfect list imaginations conscience memories reasoning thoughts Affections and emotions, these affect us at a deeper level than just our five senses. Amen. So, Now, let me say this, I'll probably repeat this throughout the lesson, but when we say our soul, think heart and mind as well, because those things are together. And so these things, all this imaginations and all that stuff, is affected by what our senses experience. So when your five senses interpret and receive things from the outward world, then these things, how we think, how we feel, how we respond, how we react, what we take in board and we allow to affect us, affects us at the level of our soul. Does that make sense? That's good. I'll be honest with you. I wrestled I said to my wife in the car, we were out last night, we are coming here and said, I'm not sure if I'm going to try and teach this tomorrow because I'm having trouble making sense of it myself. And the last thing I want to do is bring confusion. But I just felt like the Lord said, let's see how we go. So as an example of how the five senses then affect the soul, what we see and hear affects how we think and feel. That's a pretty simple way to put it. If somebody says to me, I think you're the horriblest person I've ever met in my life, I'm hearing that. How does that make me feel? If if I see somebody look at me like I'm something stuck to the bottom of their shoe, how does that make me feel? Okay? So those five senses and what we interpret via them affect us at the level of thoughts, feelings, attitudes, the deeper, the stuff that's actually who we are. Amen. So that's important. So our our human spirit, in its unsaved condition, In other words, without the Spirit of God, is also being affected by those things. So it it filters through, if that makes sense. We're impacted by those things without the Spirit of God. Now our will, that incredibly powerful ability to choose, is is governing what we believe. It's governing how we behave, how we respond, and what our identity is. And so if you can flick that that next image up, please, Brother Daniel. So there's our layers. The five external senses and how they're affected, then how we respond at the level of our soul, and then our will is where it gets down to really who we are. It gets down to the essence of who we are. Again, not an exact science. Not an exact science. Measuring and understanding the non-physical parts of who we are is an incredible challenge. That's why when you get into some of the areas of psychology and some of that stuff, it's not maths. It's, it's, it's blurry. It's, it's, some would suggest it's not a real science, but we'll get into that. It's a whole other subject altogether. Amen. But in our lost condition, and before you and I were saved, before we were born again, our spirit is void of God's spirit. Our soul, mind, heart, is corrupted by the knowledge of good and evil, and our body demonstrates actions and sinful behaviors. And there is the picture of corrupt humanity, right there. Amen. Very importantly, and possibly the thing that gives us hope, is that somewhere in this corrupt, complex human creation, God has also placed what the scripture calls a measure of faith. So in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the chaos that every one of us possessed pre-salvation, and as we'll find out, we, we took some of it with us on the journey after salvation as well. But before we were saved, there was the capacity, the capability to respond to God. Contrary to Calvinism, God has not simply decided that some are saved and some aren't, but that whosoever will can come to the Lord and be saved. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. Now that might be preached, it might be taught, it might be shared, it might be a testimony, but somehow somebody is hearing the Word of God. It can even be being read, because you can read and hear, because hear is more than audible sound. Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't saying that some people had ears for other purposes. What he was saying was, listen, listen. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so when we hear the word of God, it affects us at the level of our emotions, our reasoning, our thoughts, and our conscience. And what is happening is God's word is reaching for that measure of faith that he's parked somewhere in there. Somewhere in there God has put that, that seed, of that measure of faith and God's word is reaching for that faith and it is trying to draw us towards a response. Now our will is then in the struggle between resistance and surrender. So when when God's word reaches and the faith which you may never have known was there, it may have been dormant, you may have never thought you could believe in God, when the word of God reaches in God's timing and by the power of his spirit and it reaches, that faith begins to maybe just starts to vibrate a little bit. I don't know what it does, but it begins to awaken. And when you hear it and it begins to challenge who you are, how you think, what your identity is, then the will gets involved in the tug of war. That's why sometimes when you share the word of God with somebody, their response is quite aggressive and even unkind. It's because something's been activated. There's there's, there's a tug of war going on. They're aware of it. They don't want to admit it. That's why we always say never judge what's going on by somebody's outward response. Sometimes the most aggressive responses are the ones that are going to respond properly because God is messing with them. Amen. So our will is in that struggle. So the question then is, will we allow our faith to mix with the word of God and produce new life? This is the question. And this is all happening in the same space where there is a sinful natural mind that is in opposition to God. So that ought to help us understand the conflict. God is reaching for that faith our corrupt, sinful nature is saying, not interested, thank you very much. And there's a tug of war going on. Amen. That happens. And many of us can testify that that has, is what has happened. So, But then when we choose our will, when we choose to believe and we choose to repent, something incredibly powerful begins to happen at the level of, soul, heart, soul, mind, strength. If I could have that next slide, please. Thank you. So I've put those words in there to try to keep them. So soul, mind, and heart. Something is happening there when we respond to the gospel. When we respond, that, that faith then causes us, when we hear the word of God, to choose to take our body into the baptistry by faith and have our sins washed away in Jesus' name. Our sins are forgiven, we are washed in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and our record is clean. Amen. Then, that same faith, that that measure that he's given us, that we have allowed to come to life, reaches out and receives the promise of the Holy Ghost. As the Bible says, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And then we are being returned and restored to how we were designed to be, where the Spirit of God takes up residence in that innermost circle again. Amen. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense because it was hurting my brain. Amen. But that's, that's trying to make it as simple as I can. And so as we begin to walk with God, something is now alive inside of us that is guiding us, that is speaking to us, and that is changing us, but at the same time it is working on our soul, mind, heart to change our actions or what our body does, where our body goes, how it behaves and that is that is the biblical model is that change happens from the inside out Now there are sometimes we make changes from the outside just because we've learnt they're good and there's nothing wrong with that but if our consistent focus is to only change the outside we become religious rather than Christian. We, 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 we become formal rather than transformed. So there's nothing wrong with saying I should probably stop doing that but the change in a God sense, the best way is when He is moving within us and the response is demonstrated on the outside. Amen. So, But what we also have to remember in the midst of that is even with our sins washed away, with a clean slate, with a clean record in the sight of the Lord, and even with having the Holy Ghost in that inner circle again, the area that we refer to, that center circle, soul, mind, and heart, that area still has imaginations, conscience, memories, reasoning, thoughts, affections, and emotions. We don't get a mind wipe. There are times I wish we did. There are times I wish we would go down in the waters of baptism, come up and be handed a document. This is your name. This is your personal details. This is your identity. But we don't. We go down into the water and we come up. We still have our memories. We still have our emotions. We still have our thinking, our education. All of the various influential factors in our lives are still there. Amen. Amen. So those things are not immediately transformed, but they begin a transformation process. Hence the scriptural parallel between being born again and learning to grow. Amen. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just to try to uh, unpack this a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? How do we know human things? We've got a human spirit. Even so, or in the same way, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, we kind of already had that beforehand, but the Spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual so in the natural, our human spirit and our thinking are not of God. But now we have the Holy Ghost working together with the Word of God. We are being taught. Now, we sang a song before about, I, was, I thought I must remember those words and I've forgotten them, but about miracles happening in His presence. There are times when you are in the presence of the Lord that God can do something that's transformative in an instant. He can take anxiety, he can take fears, he can heal bodies, he can break addictions and he does them in the moment and that is the miraculous power of God. Many other things and I'll go as far as to say the majority of other things in our lives are process driven where we submit ourselves to his spirit and the word and we allow the process of transformation to take place. And many of us sadly don't experience the change that the Lord desires because we will not submit to the process. Doesn't change His love for us. Doesn't change us being His kids. But it does impact our maturity, our resilience and our strength. We have to be willing to go through the process. Amen. I wish there was a shortcut. I wish there was an express lane. But there isn't. You can't necessarily go as fast as you like, but you can certainly slow things down. Amen. Bless the Lord. And so what has happened is we have just enrolled in school that will last for the rest of our lives. We're going to attend this school until we die. And if you didn't like school, that's not a nice parallel. If you are one of those strange people that like school, well, that's great. So that's a little bit of a platform, but for the rest of this morning's lesson, I am conscious of time, I do want to consider a few things the scriptures have to say about our heart and about love but also when we use the word heart remember that in many cases maybe not all but in many cases we can also include soul and mind in that context. Interestingly as we read from Mark 12 and 30 I believe it was we are commanded to love. The first commandment is to love. Now, love in a human understanding cannot be commanded; it must be given. But the Lord is saying, "If you want to please me, these are my commandments." And we, we we understand that from the Word of God. Jesus said, "If you love me, you keep my commandments." So, obedience is God's love language. You wanna you wanna show God you love Him? Do what He says. Do what He says. People say, "Well, God knows my heart." We'll get into that in a minute. But you know, but if you want if you want God to know that. You love him. You've got to do what he says. There's, there's, again, there are no shortcuts for that. Amen. And so, you know, we... It's not love in a lighthearted fashion, in some light use of the word without commitment. And I think many of us already understand this, but for those that may not, in English, we have one word for love. And the meaning of that word, or the strength of that word, is demonstrated in the context in which it is used. You may say you love pizza. That's all right. You are my friend. I love pizza as well. Pizza's great. You may say you love football. You may say, Brother Frost, you love sleeping in on a Saturday morning. <laughs> you may say you love your wife or your husband, hopefully more than pizza. Unless it's a really, really good pizza. You may you love your children. And we use that word for so many things, but the context reflects the strength of the word. Amen. Whereas in the Greek, there is a collection of words that are translated into English as love. Some have to do with physical intimacy. Some have to do with the kind of love you have for a brother or a close friend. But the word that is nearly always used to describe God's love for us is the Greek word agape or agapeo. We find this word in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only love begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a love that is sacrificial. This is a love that is committed, that is willing to pay a price, that is not easily discouraged or dissuaded, but it is it is serious. a love that gives of itself. Now we understand that love grows and changes in relationships as we grow and change. And that's how it works with the Lord as well. As you walk with the Lord, your love for him will change it's it's much in the same way that the love that an infant has for their parents is different for the love they have when they're a child when they're an adolescent when they're an adult and then that changes again when they have their own children because relationship has changed so love has changed amen but we are commanded to love the lord with all of our hearts amen we've already referenced this but our our understanding of the heart sometimes is simplified to the the organ or the muscle, but it, it's more than that. It, it involves our emotions, it involves our thoughts, our words, the, the things we do and say. When we are afraid, when we are angry, what happens to our hearts? Your heart rate changes. So even the pump is affected by your emotions and your thoughts. If you get angry, your pulse is not sitting at 60 unless you're a serial killer. But for most of us, if you get angry, the heart gets elevated. So it lets us know that even physically there is a connection with the heart and thoughts, feelings and emotions. Amen. So what does the Bible say about our heart? The Bible tells us, first of all, the heart is where the actions begin. Before they're demonstrated, they begin in the heart. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's Old Testament law. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus connected the thought with the action. So before demonstration, what was going on in the heart, he said that's where it begins and that's the root of the problem. The Bible lets us know that the heart in its natural state or the heart without God, the, the corrupt model of body, soul, and spirit, is not a good thing. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why I love it when, when you talk to people about the need to be saved and they say, God knows my heart. That's right. That's why you had to go to the cross because of your stinking, deceitful, and desperately wicked heart. Amen. The Bible lets us know that from our hearts we produce good and bad habits. Luke chapter 6 and 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the... is Is it a little bit striking that we can have evil treasure in our hearts? In other words, things that we highly value might be evil in the sight of the Lord. So if we have evil treasure in our hearts, we bring forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of of the heart, his mouth speaketh. I've used this example before as well. You ever heard somebody say something a little bit unkind and say, Oh, I don't know where that came from? Yeah, we know where it came from. (laughs) We know exactly where it came from. This heart, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's where it came from. What we're really saying is, Oops, I wish I had said that out loud and just thought it in my head. That's what we're really thinking. Amen. Our heart is where the seed of God's word is sown. Matthew 13 and 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. Does that wrestle with the will of God. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Our hearts are where forgiveness happens. Matthew 18 and 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. This verse is really worth pausing on because what this lets us know again is the connection with our hearts, our souls and our minds because forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a decision. It's a choice to forgive and so if we're going to try to deal with it purely by emotion we're not going to be victorious but when we involve our mind and we say I'm going to choose to forgive somebody you know, forgiveness by choice is not passive, it's active. You've got to respond. I've I've taught it many times and I was taught it growing up that if you have an issue with somebody and it's causing you to get a little bit... mm, Pray for them. Ask God to bless them. Go on the offensive for them. Lord, bless them. Bless their family. Bless their home. Bless their job. Bless their relationship with you. Bless their health. And when you start to do that, even though at the beginning of that process you feel like the ultimate hypocrite, when you start to do that, God can begin to transform your heart and your mind and your spirit and eventually your emotions will catch up with your choices if you stick at it. Amen. Our hearts are where pride or humility will be found. Matthew 11 and 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. Luke 1 and 51 He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Imagination. Imagination is a great thing, but it's a scary thing at the same time. I'm glad somebody imagined that we could have air conditioning. I'm glad somebody imagined that we could fly rather than have to drive. I'm glad somebody imagined that we could drive rather than have to ride a horse. That's the creative side of imagination, but in this sense... It's talking about those that imagine themselves to be wiser. Those that imagine themselves to know more, to be more spiritual, to be able to help people more than that other person. That that spirit of Absalom, who when he was leading people astray from his father, King David, he said, oh, if I was the king, I'd be able to help you out. I could really take care of you if I was the king, but unfortunately I'm not. And he left that there for them to think about what to do with that. Imagination causes us to feel justified in our offensive behavior. And that kind of pride can lead to being deceived and also deceiving others. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul wrote, he said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which have caused divisions. The Lord spoke to us about being united through the gifts this morning. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses Contrary to the doctrines you have learned, and avoid them. The people are avoiding you, no. But we are—we're not to allow that influence in our lives. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. In other words, their own natural desires. So when you get back to our, our image with the three circles, you've got a, a carnal man in the thinking on the outside. The next circle in is the natural man. And then when you get all the way you've got the spiritual man, there's different thinking that goes on through that image as well. But they serve their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Our heart is where we can harden ourselves toward God. Hebrews 3 and 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that Jesus was grieved with the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts. It grieved him. I don't ever want to be in a place where I grieve the Lord. We are instructed in the epistles to grieve not the Holy Spirit, to not grieve the Lord with the hardness of our heart. Remember again, soul, mind, and heart. That's that's an inclusive idea. The heart is where our conscience can be pricked. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. You know, That's the battle of the will. Because here it says, when they were pricked in their hearts, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? The crowd that listened to Stephen preach were also pricked in their hearts. They had a somewhat different response. They killed the preacher. So there's that that tug of war that goes on with our will when we feel something reaching for our faith. The heart is where we can focus ourselves on the things of God. Acts 2 and 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat and gladness and singleness of heart. One thing mattered. On the more negative side of the scale, it's also where the devil likes to get to. Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? There is such a connection. I just feel to impress this from the Lord this morning between your heart and your mind. Because your emotions are very likely to not run away if you can keep your thoughts right. It's the things that consume our minds that then dump into our emotions. And then those emotions get out of control and it's really hard for our minds to bring them back. Amen? That's one of the things when, 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 when people struggle with all kinds of things, but depression, their own things about themselves, it's not about facts. It's about feelings. And the struggle is trying to arrest the the inaccurate thoughts and force them to be truthful. And you can tell them, well, that's not true, and that's not right, and you shouldn't think that way, and you may be right, and they may accept that you're right, but when the emotions have run away, that doesn't help. That's why it is so important that we... Gird up the loins of our minds. That we guard our minds because if we don't, they will just dump into our emotions. And nothing is a runaway train like emotions and feelings. God gave us feelings. There's nothing wrong with having feelings and emotions, but they must not drive. If your emotions are driving the car, you're on a roller coaster that never stops. Hey Amen. How do I get onto that? Bless the Lord. The heart is where we believe. Acts chapter 8 verse 36 and 37. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Ethiopian eunuch was saying, "Hero Israel. Because what had he been reading in the chariot, the book of Isaiah, which prophesied... About Jesus is coming. Amen. We obey from the heart. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Amen. So to wrap this up, a few things about our hearts, remembering we're including our soul and our mind in that conversation. Singleness of heart, that we would want to please God, to be and to do what he wants us to do. That we would not be distracted by the cares of this world. That we would have tenderness and be sensitive to his spirit. When our conscience is pricked, let's respond quickly. Let's not shut the door on that. Let's not harden our hearts. But if God is dealing with us, let's respond to that. Let's let the light shine in our hearts. Forgiveness. With the help of God, we must forgive others. We must release offenses. Otherwise, we can destroy ourselves. Amen. We must guard our hearts. We must not allow the devil room to move. We shouldn't even let him hang around. We shouldn't even let him just loiter. You know, there used to be laws against loitering. There still should be spiritually. We should not be allowed the devil to loiter in our neighborhood but politely tell him to get lost. We don't to be polite. You don't have to use manners. Tell him to get lost. <laughs> we need to let the word of God take root and grow in our hearts to be fruitful in Jesus' name. We need to desire humility to continually purge ourselves of pride and those wicked imaginations. And we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, soul, and spirit. It's the love that is willing to be selfless, to put him first, to be willing to sacrifice. Stand with me if you would this morning.